Man, I hadn't seen an orchestra in a long time. Thank y'all for doing this. I wish every church in America that's trying to do it wrong would come here. <laughs> we don't need a rock band up here. We don't need smoke. We don't need all this stuff that they've got out there now. I'm telling you, folks. This, this is good stuff right here. And if you're an outsider, you're used to it. But as an outsider coming in, boy, Lee, thank you. Thank you a million times over. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. Next time I come, maybe I'll play drums. I love to. I play drums in our church now on Wednesday night. They won't let me play on Sunday morning. And by the way, I played the guitar, but I've never been asked to play the guitar before with Lisa. I'll talk to you afterwards. So, boy, I'm honored to be here. I'm telling you what, folks. God has done a work in me this weekend. I mean that. I'm not just telling you that because it's on my notes because there's none. I'm not telling you that because I'm supposed to because I'm the preacher, but I'm telling you. This is something that we've had countless thousands of people praying for. Some, some parts of South Africa, my guys in India, a man in London, different parts of the United States, people are praying for this weekend. And I'm telling you, God has done a work in me. Maybe it was just for me, Ken. Maybe I was the, the very reason why you did this and why we're having this meeting. I hope you got something out of it, but I tell you what, I sure have. God has just revigorated me and uh, put something in me and encouraged me of what this subject is of walking with God. Kind of a frightening sound, isn't it, to walk with God. People are kind of scared of that, afraid of that. Don't know what to do with it. How do you handle a phrase like that? To walk with God. I don't know what it means to walk with God. How do you walk with God? I go to church. I read my Bible. I turn my tithes in. I, I play in the orchestra. I, I sit in the balcony. What do you mean walk with God? Well, it's a subject that we don't know a lot about because a lot of preachers don't talk about it. But I think it's one of the most greatest things that we need to discuss in our generation today, especially right now where we are, teaching our people how to walk with God. And I know Ken's done a tremendous job of you the last few months he's been here. And I've got to say this, and I'm going to try to say it without crying. I'm going to cry anyway, but I'm just, I've got to, I've got to say this. In the last seven years, God has used Ken Hall in my life more than anybody else in the past 20 years. I love this dear man. He is, he is a brother to me. We've known each other for all these years, played countless thousands of rounds of golf. I've been in all his churches he's preached in and pastored in. But a few years ago, when he took First Baptist Church in Duncan, South Carolina, to be their pastor, he asked me to fill in for him a time or two when my schedule would permit, and I'd go up there and fill in at Duncan. And then I did two men's conferences for him at First Baptist in Duncan. And then when he left to, to, to move on to greater things, I guess you'd say, they asked me to be their interim. Would I be the interim at Duncan? So I followed Ken there. At First Baptist. Marvelous thing for two months. It lasted for two months. And then COVID hit. And we all know what COVID did to our churches. 
fabulous church, incredible choir. I mean, it was just amazing what God was doing with those people up there. We had two good months at Duncan. We got better at the end, but boy, when that, that COVID thing hit, it, it wiped us out. Wiped them out just like it did everybody else. But God used that in my own life to pastor a church through COVID. And it was because of Ken Hall. Then Ken Hall was at Bethany Baptist Church where I am right now for two weeks. And they wanted him to stay at Bethany. I wish he had. <laughs> Maybe I could have came here. but <laughs> I wish he had. But he was at Bethany in two weeks and he said, I've, I've got to leave here because I'm taking First Baptist Church in Noonan. Well, do you know of anybody? Well, i got a friend of mine, Randy. Why don't you call him? If he's available, he'll come and preach for you. And so I went there and I've been at Bethany for 17 months, I guess it is, because of Ken Hall. <laughs> then he called and asked me to do the men's conference here. And I told him last night, I said, Ken, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't take it for granted that we're friends and you've invited me to down here. But I want to tell you, and I'll tell you publicly again, Ken, I appreciate it more than you'll ever know in this life. The invitation you've extended to me and how God has used you in my life in the last seven or eight years and then what God has done in Lisa and I in our ministry. I love this couple. They're a precious couple. This is a couple who walk with God and have walked with God for many, 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 many years. What does it look like to walk with God? We did say in our definition of the of the subject of walking with God was to be obedient. I, I don't know how, and I've said it four times now in the last 24 hours. I don't know how to explain it any easier than that, folks. What is walking with God? It means to be obedient. Whatever God says, however he wants us to do it, when he wants to do it, where he wants to do it, we just simply obey God. And if we obey God, we will walk with God because if we obey God, he's right in front of us leading and guiding us. So if I'm going to ask you to walk with God, and if I'm going to walk with God, I'm going to ask you to obey God. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do in your Christian life is to obey God. Not be the most famous singer here, the wealthiest member, give the most money, do the most things. That's not what makes you famous. It might in your own eyes. It might be from a pharisaical standpoint that you get the applause of men and you love that. Yeah, that might make you feel good. That might make you feel welcome. But I'm telling you what, the greatest thing you'll ever do in your Christian life is to obey God. So Ken asked me, could we deal with that subject of walking with God? And I'm so excited what he's going to be following up with, with you for the next six weeks, I think you said, that he's going to follow up teaching and training and doing more discipleship on what it means to walk with God. Men, I ask you to do that. One thing he started at Duncan was started the men of integrity up there. And then when I took over as interim pastor, we kept that going. And those men loved our meetings together. We had those six, seven weeks of Bible study. Because all we're trying to do is just teach them, disciple them on what it means to walk with God. We just got through talking about the Apostle Paul in our last session. This morning we talked about that old wonderful little song, Closer Walk With Thee, Granted Jesus is my plea. And this morning I want you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want us to look about a man that I think is one of the greatest men of the Old Testament. Moses is my favorite. 
Elijah would be my second, and then I think I'd move right on over to David. David was a man who walked with God. Was he perfect? No. Did he make mistakes? Yes. Did he have troubles? You better believe he did. Did he have trials and tribulations and situations in his life that, that was costly and almost deadly in his life? Yes. But the man still walked with God. He knew what it was to get up early in the morning and at noontime and at nighttime and find himself praying. He knew what it was to know the word, what word he had. He knew what it was. And then he began to write the word and wrote most of our psalms. David was a man who walked with God. And in this story here of David and Goliath, a very familiar story to you, David was apparently putting things into practice in his life at an early age that I think carried him on through the rest of his life. And we're going to look at these examples that he did, what he put in his life as a young teenager that, again, I think got him through a lot of situations in his life. And then when he fell off the truck, God put him back up and used him again. It was because of these principles that he put into play back then and even part of his early life that he had this miraculous story of David and Goliath. As we talked about last night, everybody wants to talk about the ending of the story. Everybody wants to know who won the game. Everybody wants to know what, how did it turn out? How did it turn out? How did it turn out? And again, if we talk about David from the standpoint of killing Goliath, we're going to miss the story altogether. If I tell you how strong David was and how God used David to kill that Goliath and cut his head off, we'd all shout and say, Amen, glory to God. That was a great ending. That was a marvelous ending. That was a wonderful ending. It was fabulous that David won. Let's all clap and applaud that David won. Well, it's not a matter of the winning. It's what did David do to get to where he could win? What was in David's life that got him to the point place that he could go up against that Goliath? If David stood less than five foot tall, some scholars believe that he's about four nine. Scholars believe that Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Now let me tell you folks, there's a huge difference in four foot nine and nine feet tall. It's like me standing in the locker room with Atlanta Hawks. I'm standing here with the Kimbait Matumbo, who's seven three, and I'm five foot eight. I'd hug Trey Rollins when we get into chapel, and I'd hug, and his belt buckle would hit my ear. <laughs> I know what this story looks like. And after chapel, every chapel we ever had, after chapel we gather around in a little circle, and I say, "All right, guys, let's join hands and pray." And I did. <laughs> I said, Heavenly Father, bless those men up there. <laughs> God give them strength. And I, and I prayed for the guys like this, and they're holding their hands like this, and I'm doing this. I know what it is to be against somebody bigger than you are. And there's David, little bitty kid, little bitty teenager going up against the most feared man in the neighborhood. A man that Saul said, no siree. A man that the men of Israel said, not going to do it. We're out of here. 
This man's big, he's powerful, he's mighty, he's destroyed everything in his sight, he will destroy us, he will destroy anything that gets in his way. And here's David, about like this. Here's David, a little teenage boy, just been shepherding the sheep. That's all he did, orchestra, just took care of the sheep. He wasn't the CEO of a company. He didn't have the Max, uh, uh, the Cato principles. He didn't have the John Maxwell principle book on leadership. He had absolutely nothing but tending sheep. And got in a situation and got put into a situation where he was going to have to do something that nobody else wanted to do. And may I suggest to you this morning that that might be the way it is in some churches today. I don't know that everybody wants to walk with God. But for those that want to walk with God, then they're going to be able to experience some things that will absolutely revolutionize their life and change their life forever when they want to walk with God. So here's David. Let's just pick up in the story and read some of the things that he did. Look at the first thing that David did in verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant David will go and fight with the Philistine. Oh, wow. See, if you're thinking about the ending of the story, you're going to miss that right there. If you get into 1 Samuel 18, you're going to go to the end of there. I want to read the story where he took care of the head of Goliath. I want to see where he killed him with that, with that little slingshot and stone. Let's get to the end of the story, preacher. Hurry, 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 hurry. Get to the end of the story then you'll miss that right there. Because a few verses back, Solomon said, I'm not going to do it. The men of Israel said, we're not going to do it either. And here come David, a little shepherd boy. I doubt he'd been to boxing class. I doubt, I doubt he went to slingshot school. That's hard to say. I doubt he went to that. But he had that slingshot out there that he probably dealt with animals along the way. A fox come up. He'd take that slingshot, probably warn them all. But here's David saying, you know what, guys? Don't let your heart fail you. This is what he said. It's amazing. I'll fight him. And Saul laughed. And wouldn't you laugh too? Wouldn't you laugh too? It'd be like me telling Dikembe Mutombo, Dikembe, I'm fixing a dunk on you. He'd go, really? He tried. Exactly the same comparison. And here's David. I'll go fight him. The first thing that was in David's life and the first thing that needs to be in my life if I'm going to walk with God is I've got to be audacious. I remember the first time I heard that word preached by Richard Hogue. Richard Hogue used that word audacious 10 or 12 times in his sermon, he'd always snap his fingers and you know how Richard would preach and he would always talk about being audacious for God, audacious and man, he was articulate beyond words and he was such a gifted preacher and he kept saying audacious, audacious, audacious and I'm sitting there thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about or you know what that word means. And he finally got around and said, well, some of you don't know what that word means. I didn't raise my hand, but I wanted to. And he said, let me put it into a vernacular that everybody will understand. You have to excuse the word, but it's the word that describes it best. He said, David had guts. Guts. But if you're going to walk with God, you better have that in your life. 
Because when you make that decision to walk with God, here comes the enemy, and here comes the enemy strong. He will do everything in his power to stop you from walking with God. He don't care if you sing. He don't care if you preach. He don't care if you come to church. He don't care if you read your Bible every now and then. He doesn't care if you do a bunch of religious things for him along the way. He really don't care a thing about that. But you start walking with God. Can I come back here while I mess up anything? I got you. I get it close to you. I love choirs. I love my choir when I had them. I hate this microphone. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, he had guts. I got to have guts. You've got to have guts. If you're going to walk with God, you better have that in your life. Because Satan is going to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy you before the sun goes down. That's what he tried to do to David. Paul, as we talked about, Daniel, Jeremiah, Elijah, Amos. Shall we go on through the list of people that he tried to destroy? Read Hebrews 11 if you haven't read it recently, the 11th chapter. Those men and women who had faith in God. It wasn't because they got at one revival service or they came down the invitation and God imparted in that kind of faith. It happened because they walked with God. And as they walked with God, God used them. And yes, God gave them victory, but then the Bible says some of them never got it, but they never lost their faith. Audacious. Isn't that a great word? David was audacious. Number two in the same text that we just read in verse 32, David was aggressive. Everybody else is scared. Everybody else is running away. Everybody else is hiding. Everybody else is saying, not me, not me, not me, not me. Is Rocky available? Let's get Rocky Balboa. Is Muhammad Ali still alive? Let's get Muhammad Ali. Let's get anybody, but not us, not us. But David, the little bitty boy, under five feet tall, teenager, shepherd boy, said, I'll tell you what to do. Where is he? I'll go after him. That's aggressive. That's the person who walks with God takes it seriously gives it all he's got well that's why I've loved working with athletes for over 35 years pastoring churches and in in, in, in doing all that but I, I told the churches that I pastored hey this is what I've been working with Hawks and all that and it's fine it's fine it's fine go minister to the athletes and I've loved every minute of it because the one thing that I've learned about an athlete a good athlete and I've seen some horrible ones and I've seen the best of the best of the best play the game the one thing that taught me more about Christianity was my athletes because they were aggressive if you want to know something about an athlete watch his eyes don't watch his feet that's important don't watch his legs that's important don't watch his arms or that's important you look at an athlete you watch his eyes because his eyes is going to tell you what he's seeing, what he's looking at, and more likely what he's going to do. But you take a defensive back. I love watching this at arena football because I can see the football players. I was from here to this stand to, to, the, to the goal line, I mean, to, I mean to the, to the sideline. I was on the bench with the players, and I'm right there beside that. And, and before that play was there, and the quarterback's calling the sem, sen, uh, signals on the offensive side, that defensive back, I mean, he's down here like this, folks. I mean, he's ready. And his eyes, his eyes, his eyes are glued to what's going on. He was so aggressive. He could go right, he could go left, he could go back, he could go forward. I saw that with the Hawks. I see that with my golfers. 
The one thing that I got for you, you got to see it first. You got to see it. 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 And then commit to what you see. Vision. A person who walks with God has got to see what's around them. They got to know what's around them. They got to be aggressive when it comes time to turn up the heat. And as I told our last group of meet, the met in the meeting, and I just left with those guys. Let me tell you something, guys. Now's the time to turn up the heat. Church, First Baptist Church, Noonan, now is the time. Today is the day to turn up the heat. The battle is strong outside of these doors. Washington's coming after us. Our society is coming after us. Our press is coming after us. They're coming after us from every side to do everything they can to silence us. Now we have a choice. Well, Saul said, you know what? I sure ain't going to fight against that. And the men of Israel said, no, they're bigger than I am. I don't want to deal with them. But here comes little David, the little boy. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go fight him. They laughed at him. Looks like they're laughing at us. Oh, you Christians, you, you, you right-wing fanatics. You, you're, just, you're just Christians, and, and, and they're not taking you seriously anymore. Well, it's high time they start taking us seriously again because we need to get aggressive and be audacious in our walk with God because there's thousands and thousands of people dying without Christ every day all around this state aggressive and I have found through the years of the men and women that I've been able to talk to and have ministered greatly to me where men and women told me Randy when the tough got going the going got tough the men and women would tell me boy there was times I wanted to quit probably should have quit supposed to quit but I said I'm not going to do it God's hand God's calling us on my life he saved me he redeemed me and I owe it to God to finish the course aggressive David was a man who was aggressive the third thing that we see about David that's really exciting is in verse 37 of that same chapter it says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now, folks, he was being sarcastic. He was not pronouncing his blessing on him because he knew in his heart, at least Saul did, that that Goliath was going to eat David's lunch. He was going to destroy him. He was going to knock him down. He was going to do like he'd done to every other warrior that came up to Goliath. And it was like Saul said, okay, David, that's fine. May the Lord be with you. Well, Saul didn't know anything. David knew everything. Because he was audacious. He was aggressive. And number three, listen to this. This is amazing. What I need to do in my life today, and maybe what some of you might need to do as well. David was absolutely committed to God. I think of the four stories we've been talking about this weekend. It seems like that theme is being said in different kinds of ways, in different kinds of words. But the whole thing, the whole crust of our men's meeting this, this weekend, last night, three times this morning, two times and now three times this morning, is we need to get committed once again. I'm not talking about do more things. 
get more involved, take on more jobs. We're stretched enough as it is, I'm sure. But in between all the things that we do, we need to do everything we can to make sure our commitment to Christ, our commitment to God, our commitment to the Holy Spirit is strong and real in our life. So that if tomorrow we come up against a giant, as you've been talking about here for many weeks now, facing those giants. When we face that giant, we'll be absolutely committed that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. David would say something like that before the New Testament ever came around. David was committed to God. Why? Based on his past. Remember that time he's out there tending the sheep? Just a, just a shepherd boy. He was out there tending the sheep. Someone, something grabbed his little sheep. The lion. Then the next day a bear came. Now, now, folks, visualize this. I don't know if anybody in this room would do this. You're sitting there watching your sheep. A bear walks up, takes one of your sheep, and you go after the bear, tap him on the shoulder. Mr. Bear, Mr. Bear, that belongs to me. Give him back to me. Anybody do that? Raise your hand. I wouldn't do it. I really wouldn't. But if the Spirit of God told me to do it and put something in me to do it with, I might do it. And that's what David was doing. He was so sold out to God, committed to God, that bear was nothing to God. Mr. Bear, Mr. Lion, you've got what belongs to me. That's walking with God. How many times has the enemy tried to steal your family? How many times have you had to pray over your children, your grandchildren? How many times have you pleaded the blood of Jesus Christ over your home, over your life, because you felt that all hell was coming against you in your life? How many times have we fought off the enemy that was coming our way against us in our churches, in our family life, because we knew that he was coming to take away that which was sown in our hearts. We were so absolutely committed to God that we said, Mr. Devil, not today. Not today, sir. Might as well move on down the road. I am convinced more now than ever before we would say that God is greater than you. And you will obey God. Hallelujah. Obey God. That's where David is in his walk with God as a little teenager that I said takes him through his life. Takes him through all the things that he went through. It's because David, even though he had some struggles in his life, and David lost focus at times and did things that he shouldn't do, don't be too harsh to criticize him. Because God in his love and his grace always wrapped his arm around people that will repent and confess sins and read the 51st Psalm. What a story of a man who repented. He was absolutely 
sold to God. What's the fourth thing? Boy, I love this in verse 43. Look at verse 43. Then the Philistine said to David, <laughs> now here's this conversation. Listen to this. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by, the God, by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, a spear, and a javelin. Are you ready to get excited? I am. Listen to this. But I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel. Hallelujah to God. Listen to what David is saying. Oh, yeah, he's absolutely committed to God. But folks, listen to me. This is so amazing. Write it down in your mind. Write it down in your nose. David knew where his authority was. It wasn't in David as a little shepherd boy tending the flock. There's no power in that. That doesn't give you prestige. That doesn't make you climb the social ladder because, hey, I'm a little shepherd boy. Nobody knows my name. I'm stuck off through the side. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here doing my job. What, what I'm supposed to do is a little shepherd boy. But then he got put in a position that God placed him in to show God's power and God's ability. Maybe that's what God wants to do with us. Maybe that's what God wants to do with First Baptist Church in Noonan. Display his authority, his power once again in his local church. And here he is telling Goliath. After Goliath made that statement that would have made most of us fearful and run. Or hide. Or get to shaking. Or get timid. And just want to go home and go to bed. David looked him not eyeball to eyeball, but he looked up to him face to face and said, let me tell you something, big guy. You coming to me with what you've got, I'm going to come to you in what I got because I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. Listen to me, folks. That story has a great ending. Oh, David takes his slingshot and throws that rock and the he falls down. What wow, a great story. What an ending. If that's all you want to read in, in 1 Samuel 17, you're going to miss the greatest part of the story. You're going to miss everything that God did in David's life preceding Goliath and what God had been doing apparently in David's life. Maybe as David was sitting on the, uh, on the fields at night tending the sheep that the, the Spirit of God was ministering to him and teaching him. He had to be because you don't do this as a little bitty kid, do you? No. David said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. And Goliath thought, huh, wow. He knew his authority. How many times maybe have you done as I have done when fear grips you? We've all been gripped with fear for whatever reason. And what have you done like I've done. I've said it out loud. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over that fear. Did that take away the problem? No, still in front of me. 
Did that eliminate my situation that was there before me? Absolutely not. But what did it do? It gave me the strength to stand there and look at it face to face and say, you will not win in my life in Jesus' name. And even if I die in this, you're still not going to win. Hallelujah. Because I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. When you're walking with God, as we learned earlier, we can't do it by ourselves. I am weak, but thou art strong. Keep me from all wrong. David knew his authority. Number five. One, two more, and then we're through. Number five. Look at what he says in verse 34. Go back up a few pages, I mean, a few verses, 34. And David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When the lion, the bear, came up, took the, the lamb from the flock, I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. <laughs> Gracious. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Do you know what that bear and that lion looked like after that happened? You talk about a dazed look. You talk about a deer in the headlights look. Here's this bear holding in his mouth. Have you ever seen the teeth of a bear? They're about like this. The ferociousness and the fear of being in the presence of a lion that close. He's holding this lamb in his mouth. And David reaches up and grabs him by the beard. And said, that's mine. You let go of him. That bear's looking around like, I must be dreaming this. This is really not happening to me. That's this little kid I hear. He's a, he's a little boy coming up telling me what to do. Well, when you get absolutely committed to God, when you, when you go in the authority of him, when you get aggressive and you get audacious, then let me tell you something, folks. You can trust. You can trust number five. You can trust God's ability. It wasn't David doing it. Do you believe that? I do. It wasn't David's strength or his good looks or his ability to be king one day. It wasn't David's fame and fortune because he had none at this time. It wasn't anything that David has done. And it will never be anything that you and I have done. Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. It was God's ability through a vessel that had fingers and toes just like you and me, that had eyes and ears just like you and me, but it was through a vessel that had decided to walk with God, let God rule his life, let God reign in his life, and it was through that vessel that God put supernatural strength in him. And he reached up and grabbed that bear and took what belonged to him back because he trusted in God's ability. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been diagnosed with a disease or something that was a death sentence to us? Something that was going to wipe you out, take you away from your family? destroy your health, destroy your job. Have we ever been confronted with like that? I think we have in our own ways. 
I'll never forget when I was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis. If anybody has this in the room, God bless you. That's a debilitating disease. I've had it for several years now. I'm as healthy as a mule because I take medicine to fight off that disease. But I found myself as a preacher, as a pastor, as a sports chaplain, I found myself crumbling before that disease with fear. My eyes were crossed, but they were not crossed, but I had double vision. My eyelids began to close. My mouth began to draw. My arms would not move. My legs would not move. This happened over about a three-week period in my home. I went to doctor after doctor. Oh, you got an ear infection. I went to the optometrist. Well, you, you can see 2020. I said, well, why do I see four of you? And before I went to the hospital, I stayed up one night. I told Lisa, I said, well, I'm not really tired. I'm going to sit up all night. You go on and go to bed. So Lisa goes upstairs to bed. I didn't want to alarm her. I'm sitting in there scared absolutely to death in my den. I'm a man of God. I preach the word. I know the word. And I'm sitting down in my den thinking I'm dying because I was having hard time breathing. And I'm sitting on my sofa, eyelids closed, eyes crossed, arms couldn't barely move, couldn't even get up, laboring to take a breath. Now, folks, here's where the rubber meets the road. What am I going to do? Start crying? Start screaming, why me, why me, why me, what have I done? Do all that stuff that we do sometimes. I did something really simple. I prayed. And I said, God, I believe you have the ability to take care of this. And all I can do is give it to you and ask you in Jesus' name to help me get through this. If I don't have a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience as we talked about last night, if I don't have the experience the Apostle Paul did, if I don't have the ending the way David did, God, that's going to be quite all right. But I believe in my heart that you have the ability to take care of this. And the very next day after going to another neurologist, they found it. I take medicine. I'm fine today for the glory of God. But there was a time in my life I didn't know if I was going to take another breath. God's ability. Do you believe he has it? Do you really, really believe it? Because if you walk with God, you're going to be put into situations in your life where you're going to have to trust God to do the impossible. You're going to have to trust God to do the miraculous. You're going to have to be the woman that Lisa just sang about if I can just get to his garment, I'll be made whole. And she got there. She pressed. She pressed. She pressed. And she got there. And God touched her. And I love what Jesus said. Who touched me? Oh, Lord, are you kidding? There's everybody around you. Everybody's grasping for you. Everybody's pulling on you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody wants to get something from you. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And he stops and said, no, somebody pulled 
power out of me. Because he had the ability to release the power. Again, we're living in a world today they're trying to shut us down. They're trying to get us quiet. They're trying to tell us to back off. They're trying to tell us to believe and accept things that we know are not in the Word of God. And it's time, and today is the day, and right here and now, we need to start believing in God's ability to take care of the enemy and everything he's bringing against us today. In Jesus' name, take authority over it. He believed that. He believed in the ability of God. The last thing we close, verse 49. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And David prevailed. Now we can shout. Now we can say amen. Now the ending of the story is good. He prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Wow. Surely, surely, surely there's not one person in this room that believes that that slingshot and that stone took Goliath out. Even though it's what David used, the slingshot and the stone. And it did hit the Goliath. It did hit him in the head. And it took him out. But it wasn't the stone, was it? It was the power of God on the stone. And that's why the Bible tells us that God uses the simple things to confound the wise. Because there's people going to argue with me all day long. Well, I ran your Brother Kennedy. I need to, uh, you can you and I meet afterwards. I want to discuss with you a moment about this about this slingshot theory. I don't believe the hypothesis and all these words they can come up with that that stone would have. I know it doesn't have the power to do it, but you put God in it. You put God on it. It'll work every single time. And David had absolute victory with a little rock and a slingshot. Four foot nine. Nine foot nine. Whew. David believed every inch when it left that sling, every inch he believed that God was going to take him out, and he did. Because David walked with God. So my prayer for me, before I ever got here, Long before I ever got to this meeting, God, remind me again in my own heart what it means to walk with God. Refresh and rekindle in me a theme that's been lost in a lot of our churches and even in our mindset of what it means to walk with God. As I tell our church, and I've told every church I've pastored, and we're going to give an invitation, not because we have to, not because we're supposed to. Maybe not because we even need to. But maybe God wants to do something this morning in one of us in this room. 
And maybe you want to come forwardly, come forward and, and make it a commitment that's lasting to you and lasting to God and lasting to this church and to your family and to your friends. Maybe you just want to slip down just for a moment and say, God, I've been here all four sessions and I need to walk with you now before anything else I do in this life. I want to learn to walk with you again. Because listen to me, and I'm being honest with you as I've ever been in my life. I'm telling you the truth. I'm going to make that commitment this morning. I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God in a fresh way, in a new way that I've never walked before God in my life. Because guess what? If I live another 20, 30, 40 years, I'm telling you this. The enemy is going to come worse now than he was yesterday. I need to be ready to fight the good fight of faith, to keep the faith and finish the course. So I'm going to ask God to help me to walk with God. Let's pray together. Boy, God, in Jesus' name, what else can we say? We've been challenged. We've been encouraged in your word for four times now that we need to walk with you, that we need to obey you, that we need to do whatever you ask us to do and whatever means that is. And, Lord, I'm asking for myself. I'm asking for me and Lisa. I'm asking for my family. I'm asking for our life, that, God, you will keep teaching us, discipling us, growing us up on what it means to walk with God. We don't want to get more busy. We're busy enough. We don't have time of the day to do what we do now. So we're not asking to be more busy. We're asking to be more godly, more holy, more sanctified. So God, use our everyday life to teach us what it means to walk with God. I bless you, Lord. I give you praise and I give you glory. And this is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.